When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So I went to the wild game against the Penguins uh, on New Year's Eve, which is actually a pretty good game. What is your theory, though, on teams that struggle to finish as much as this team seems to do? Because against the Penguins, Lou, they had some fantastic chances, fantastic shots, and they just couldn't finish. Well, when you're not finishing, obviously everybody's putting pressure on themselves and other people are putting pressure on the team. But the thing you got to do is you got to keep getting chances. That's the most important thing. As long as you're getting chances, you know, you're hopeful if you got people that have had a history of scoring that something good's going to happen. But the main thing you got to do is get the chances, and when you get the chances, you got to shoot the puck. I think one of the things you find when teams and people aren't scoring as much, uh, they they seem slow to react to opportunities that they, they have presented to them. And usually it's waiting too long to shoot the puck or overpassing the puck. And that's something you got to get away from right away. Mm-hmm. How tough does that get to be, too, as far as is the old uh, cliche about guys clutching the sticks too hard? Because it does seem like there be, there becomes a point in time where a lot of guys just start to press and it works against them on a consistent basis. Well, there's no, no question that these guys all know when they've last scored, how many goals they got, where they should be at. It's, you know, they, they use a projection of so many games played and how many games are left. And if I go at this rate, where am I going to end up with? Whether they like to admit it or not, everybody knows where they're at when it comes to scoring goals. Now, uh, it's, it's going to affect different people different ways, but I don't care who the player is, even the best of goal scorers. If they're not scoring goals, they're going to feel the pressure and they are going to be squeezing the stick till it starts to go because uh, they're like everybody else. They're human and they know they should be scoring goals, mm-hmm. especially if they're getting chances not doing it. They're going to start questioning what's going on here. Give me the most uh, b- bizarre or intriguing thing that you saw a goal scorer going through a lengthy slump do dur- uh, during the course of your career. Well, I, you know, I, I I can't pinpoint just one guy. I've seen so many guys. <laughs> I, I mean, it, you know, at times, even our best goal scorer, like Dino Cicerelli, he might go four or five games without a goal, and boy, it was really used to bother him. And all we used to tell him, Dino, just two things. Remember, keep moving your feet, keep shooting the puck. Mm-hmm. go to the areas where you support from, and that's what you do. Uh, you always, if, you, if you're a scorer, you know how you score goals. You know uh, how you shoot the puck. You revert. When you're in a slump, you've got to remember, revert back to what always works for you. Yes. And just keep going with it because you've had a history of being successful with it, and you should be successful again. I think that's tough, too, Lou, because – to your point about going to the areas the guys need to go to to score goals, that job can really stink, too. Because, I mean, you see guys, if, if you go to the net, 
which obviously can lead to loose pucks in front. The one thing about that is, and, and we've seen this with Parisi a lot, you get beat up really badly as well. Well, yeah, you know, John, I hate to disagree with you, but as the age, they don't get beat up very much. Okay. Like they used to, I think. Good point. There's a hell of a difference <laughs> in playing in this game in front of the net than it was in the past. And uh, in the past, you could get away with Buddy Murray, and now you can't. I mean, just stop and think of guys, even like, yeah, you know, Billy Smith for the Islanders or Jerry Cheevers for Boston. You stood in front of that Caesar. I saw Caesar break a guy's ankle in front of that one. He said, you come back here one more time, I'll break your ankle. I can't remember who it was, and he broke his ankle. I mean, this, 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 is, How? this is, it's not a piece of cake, but trust me, it's not nearly as bad as, as you think it is. And and in this day and age, uh, the, the referees are, are calling so many what I think are ticky-tack penalties that bother me a bit. And uh, I don't think that they have any problem going in front of the net and, and fighting for position. I mean, you're going to get a couple of cross-checks, but you get that all the time, and you give them back. That's that's what you do. So he broke a guy's ankle with a slash to it or what? Yeah, with a slash to a goal stick. <laughs> um, Billy Smith, I think, was the worst, though. I don't think I saw Billy was the worst. He he would he would hack you for coming with like with Gretzky. He would hack him in the breezers for coming around the, the net, much less being in front of it. I agree with you. He wasn't. I mean, it's like he had a big circumference there, a big circle. You come anywhere where that stick could reach, you were going to get it. He, he was the worst. He really was the worst. Uh, all the goalies used to be bad, but the, you know, if if you bother them too much, they'll all give it to you. But not. Billy Smith was really, he, he was bad. And when Caesar got frustrated, Caesar would give a pretty good tip. Caesar would, you know, he wouldn't let guys stand around there and just uh, not, you know, not get a token touch. Oh, yeah. So two things that I've seen, I think, changed the most in my time among the things that have changed, and there's been a lot in the sport. I think the two things that have changed the most are, are you're right, in front of the net, you still get cross-checked, but you don't get um, assaulted uh, basically. And then the second thing, and we've talked about this before, but I marvel about this. I I cannot believe the amount of questionable calls, and you do not see coaches yell or scream or do a thing. Re- the referees, they've got the greatest deal now ever. I don't think they ever get accosted. If they do, it seems really rare. I got to agree with you. I mean, if that's on those coaching today, go back to drinking. I mean, it would drive him nuts if he couldn't talk to the yell and scream at the referee and he'd get a, a bench minor. There, there is completely no interaction between the referees and the players or the referees and the coaches. In the past, that's one of the things you, you relished about it. You, you, you would get calls, but you could vent your frustration, yeah. and they would give it right back to you as bad as you gave it to them. And nowadays, because what's happened... And I don't know exactly when it was. I want to say about 15 years ago or so, uh, maybe even a little bit more than that. One of the players said something to an official. The official swore back like the Owls used to do to us, and we did to them. Yep. And he got reported to the league, and the league fined him. And so that basically says, okay, guys, if that's the way you want it, the official said, we're not talking to you, so don't talk to us. But what drives all the interaction is gone. Yeah, but what drives me nuts is is you would think because there's some really bad calls still. I mean, it's not like the, these guys are probably improved, but they're certainly not perfect on a consistent basis. Louis, what drives me crazy is not just the players; it's the coaches. Like I never see a coach try and motion a referee o- over. I, I remember Glenn. 
at the Met standing on the bench with a stick, hitting the stick on the boards to get the referee to come and explain. And now I don't even see a coach stand in front of a bench or do a thing to at least at times say, what the hell was that call? I agree with you. And I think that the reason why is because they're afraid to get the extra penalty and plus get fined. Yeah, you know, we never used to get coaches or managers fined for yelling and screaming at referees. For crying out loud, I should have paid rent. I was in the referee's room so much after a game of between periods. <laughs> now, if you want, it's like, you know, 25000 was up to 250000 or something. I remember sitting in Tory and uh, um, Glenn Seather, Edmonton was playing uh, in Boston, and I want to say this was in the early 90s, right after I got out of the game. Mm-hmm. And, and they called me from Boston. All they said, we were just talking about you. You'd be bankrupt if you were managing today. You could never afford it. <laughs> and and that's what we had in those days. We could do those kind of things. That's just, you know, uh, right now, just completely taboo. You just cannot do it without being a huge, huge fine. So uh, among the uh, n- numerous times during the course of your GM career that you went down, especially at the Met, to that room and pounded on the door and asked to talk, do you remember one story in particular, Lou, where, where you were most upset about a call that, that had been made during the period? Oh, yeah. Well, I can remember I can remember 20 of them. I mean... Is there a best I, I one, though? I was that with, Grant, with Andy Hellman, we were playing Chicago. It was right uh, like December 22nd, 23rd, right before Christmas. And he gave us a penalty. They scored a goal. It was one nothing, And I was just furious. And I went down the course and, and I was just screaming and yelling. And then I was still in my room, I, I, in my office, with Murray Oliver and uh, Pete Karras and our wives. And we all, uh, you know, would sit around and, and wait till the traffic was gone. And so, well, this night I just could not take it anymore. I just sat there until 3 in the morning. Finally, 3 in the morning, I picked up the phone. I called the Registry Hotel and I said, uh, Andy Van Hellman's room, please. And they gave me his room and he hello. And I said, Andy, it's Louie. He said, you woke me up. I said, you're damn right I woke you up. I can't sleep and neither <laughs> said you. You're so brutal tonight and I hung up. <laughs> you see, this is what we need more of in this game. That was more fun. That's called characters. It was, yeah, but it was just, I mean, I just couldn't put up with it. I mean, the worst one we ever did, and I, I, I think it was Dennis Morrell, but uh, we were just really upset with the game he called. And we just could not, you know, take it. I went down by the locker room and Doc Rose, we always used to give the referee lines, you know, a six-pack of beer after the game. And I got down there and Doc Rose says, uh, Lou, he said, uh, I'm not giving him any beer. I said, you better not or, or I'm going to fire you. And he says, furthermore, he said, I locked her door. I said, good, don't tell anybody anything. So uh, we just went home, went about our way. Next morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, right away I get a call from Brian O'Neill. And he starts swearing at me, saying, what am I trying to do, make a mockery of the league? And I said, what are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. And I said, no, I don't. He said, you locked my referee and landed in the room. They never got out till 2.30 in the morning. And I said, I don't know anything about it, but I tell you what, I'll have an investigation. I'll get them back to you by 4 o'clock. So, you know, nobody did let them out. And then... Finally, you know, security guard heard him pounding on the door, and let him out at two thirty in the morning. Well, I called, uh, I called Brian back, and I said, Brian, there were two guys loitering around the referee's room. The security guy said they probably locked him, and the security guy was able to get him out at two thirty. <laughs> Doc Rose. Oh, 
<laughs> That's absolutely perfect. I love that story. So do I. They probably deserved it. Yeah, you were right. Not probably. They yeah. Glad they got it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so so we, we now are in a, a day and age, Louie, where uh, refs and players avoid each other and don't swear, where I'm sure executives don't call from the legal office to talk to GMs and swear. So how is it that uh, Jim Lights, who runs the Dallas Stars, calls in the media last week and doesn't just uh, fillet Sagan and Ben, his, his two best players, but does so in a profane, incredibly public way? Your thoughts on the decision by a guy who's been around a long time uh, to take such an aggressive stance towards two-star players? Well, I think Gary Bettman, uh, you know, explained it the best. He said, the, you know, there's no reason to use profanity publicly. He didn't say anything about doing it privately. Yeah. And, and because uh, essentially you might as well call it a hockey talk because everybody does. But, but uh, Light, sh- he should not have used profanity. But there's no reason why he couldn't say what he said without using profanity. Mm-hmm. The guys are coddled way too much now. And and all he was telling the writers is, you know, you're always writing about our other players not playing well. Why don't you write about the guys that are leaders of the club that are making eight nine million dollars each, and their their production is half of what it was last year at the same time. Mm-hmm. So if they're not going to be our best players, we got problems. And so that's what happened. And uh, you know, the owner was frustrated, and I'm sure he conveyed that message to Lights. Lights, I know Jimmy very well. I like him. I like him. I think he's a terrific guy. And he's a very smart guy. And I'm sure he was just doing the owner's bidding, plus the way he felt and the way a lot of people felt. But if you would have taken the profanity out of it, I think uh, his message would have been better received. And now, but I mean, just stop and think about it. Here in the Players Association getting back into it. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, you can't just, you know, get Players Association back and everything. You can't, you can't sneeze with them wanting to get involved. I mean, you know, there are certain things you, you, you should be able to do and not have to, you know, be challenged with. It's a corporate game now, though, Lou. Everything is corporate. That's the problem. That, yeah, that's one of the things that I don't, you know, I, I don't miss at all. I I, uh, I certainly like the the interaction that we had much better than exists today because there was, there was camaraderie. Even though, you you know, you were upset with referees and they were upset with you and, and, and uh the players, vice versa, and all that, you're able to air your differences and you're able to discuss them. I just think a lot of that communication is missing from the game today. So during the course of a North Star season back in your day as GM, Lou, how often did you call in players and verbally light them up? And obviously it didn't get out to the press at the time, but I would imagine that there were more than a few of those instances per season where you didn't think a guy was playing great and had some choice words for him. Oh, we all did that, and then so did the coaches, everybody. You know, uh, I I don't remember, even in college, Mariucci never left the dressing room without really scathing me. I mean, he used to give me crap all the time. And the end of my career, Louis, if I couldn't give it to you, who was I going to be able to give it to him? He said, that way nobody else can complain. But, you know, I never said anything about it. I mean, the first game I played for him, he, he threw me off the team <laughs> for the day, you know. What'd you do? Period. Well, I, I, it's the end of the second period. We were playing the U.S. Nationals, and I was just a sophomore, and we're losing one nothing. I came back to the bench, and I and John was frustrated because we, you know, we weren't scoring either, and it was only one nothing. And and I came back to the bench. And I says, 
and Yurkovich had just missed a shot. He was going over there, went to catch a miss. I said, shoot at this guy he can't catch. And John heard me say that. And John says, what do you mean he can't catch? We're losing one nothing. I just said he can't catch. Okay, you shut up. Don't, don't, don't tell him to shoot I. I'm not telling him to shoot I. Just shut your mouth. So I did. <laughs> so we go in the end of the period. Yeah. And he's you know, all of this crap. And, and before he goes on, he says, you, Louis. You shut your mouth. Don't tell these guys to shoot high. I wasn't shooting high. This went back and forth until he said, that's it. Take off your equipment. So I took off my equipment. You, you wouldn't let me play. And now I'm in, in the locker room hearing the score going 2 nothing, And I run out and, and call the trainers. Ask him if I can come out and play. He said, no, 3 nothing, 4 nothing, 5 nothing. We finally lose 5 nothing. And after the game, the, you know, it was sort of school break, but I was going... We went up on a bus. I was going back home for Thanksgiving, and uh, it was cleaning Thanksgiving in October. Okay. And so he let me have his car before. So everybody, all the people was making bets that I wasn't coming back. You know, I was taking his car, getting on the plane, just staying in Canada. <laughs> but, but, I mean, we would, every coach we've ever had, Ren Blair used to just cut us a new one. You know, in between periods, and, and uh, he, we had just got Wayne Hillman for one week. One week, we got him from New York. We give up Dave Ballon or Jimmy Johnson or something. <laughs> and he came in the end of the first period, and he looked at the defenseman. He said, moves back to my cap, and he said, you're nothing but a fat piece of crap. And he didn't use the word crap. <laughs> and he said, Bob McCord, it's supposed to be tough. You couldn't beat it, my mother. <laughs> Lou Nanny, you're everything I hate in a hockey player. You went to college, you're, you're, you became an American, you like to rush the puck. <laughs> then he looks at Wayne Hillman, puts his hands on his head, and says, You, Hillman. Then he looked at the sky and says, Oh, Emil, he had traded with Emil Francis. Oh, Emil, how you screwed me, how you screwed me. <laughs> you know, this stuff went on yep. all the time. Yep, but the difference now is, and th- this is where I think it's tough for coaches now is it's become a, a game where you, you've got to know who you can be tough on and who you can't be tough on. And like you said, if it goes too far, there's a grievance file now. And so so it's really they, the days of what? The uh, Keenans of the world is long, seems to be long oh. gone. <laughs> long gone. <laughs> the days of wine and roses, you're right. Because Keenan, I mean, he was, he, boy, there's some stories about him. And look at the goaltenders. I'm laughing yep. because, you know, a guy like Dubnik got a pick and he got pulled the other game. Yep. He didn't used to pull his goaltenders every game. And he put them back in sometimes. He might play, the goalies might have to be pulled twice during the game, so one guy would go back in three times, he'd be in there three times, the other guy two times. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just one game. I mean, he was doing this every week. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I thought that the same thing. When Dubnik was mad that he got pulled against Chicago, which, by the way, seemed to me to be a good uh, job by Bruce of pulling him, it was good. Him being upset, I thought to myself, buddy, if you had Mike Keenan as your coach, you'd be upset every bleeping game because you might give oh. up a softie and get pulled. No question about it. That was really something. It was amazing. So what? what's your uh, your thought, Lou, on how guys like Bruce process players of today? Because they played with you or back then, and so they, they saw coaching as it was in the 70s or, in some cases, the 60s. How do you think they go about trying to adjust or change, or how how um, difficult do you think that is for them to do, to say, I played in this environment, and now if I try and replicate it at all, guys get very upset? 
players, I mean. Well, you know, Bruce and guys like Bruce. Bruce is such a terrific coach. I don't care what anybody says. We're very lucky to have him. Mm-hmm. And and uh, even though he's been in different eras, the good coaches all adjust, just like the good players. The good players adjust. Good coaches adjust. You, you know, and the players have to adjust to certain things during the game and on the ice and how to be in check, et cetera. Coaches have to adjust how they're handling players and and they realize that there's a difference. And, and uh, you know, the world changes. I mean, you know, what was it? We probably didn't have the iPhone 15 years ago. I think it, it was less than that when it came in. And now it's like a mini computer. So everything changes so so much that the, the smart ones, the good ones, really can adjust with and do it seamlessly. Um, January 1st, Lou Nanny, 2020. The Winter Classic has been awarded to the Dallas Stars in the Cotton Bowl. Your initial thoughts when you heard that a that the Stars franchise is getting the Winter Classic? Do you even care? Well, well I thought you know they're, they're, the NHL does a great job of marketing. Uh, since uh, Bettman got there, they've just increased the revenue so much. He's done such a masterful job of putting these things and and and, and uh, highlighting them. And and they're 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 not saying anything about Dallas. They really don't care. It's Dallas. It's the fact that the Cotton Bowl isn't yep. used anymore, and it's such an iconic name that they're they're getting a lot of mileage out of the Cotton Bowl. Now, if I was to go a little farther, it's the fact that if the Wild just were playing better, and especially if they had a couple of star players, you know, marquee players, the natural rival of that game should be the. Minnesota Wild, mm-hmm. because the Minnesota team didn't end up in Dallas. And I would think if they really wanted to market properly, and I believe the only thing that would scare them away from that is how well they're playing and how marketable are their players. I um, I think that, that they should play the Wild, Louie, and I think they should play for the name. How about that idea? <laughs> No, I, I don't. I don't think they should even have to play for the name. I agree with I you, but I'm just saying, why not? They want the name because if the Wild want the name, they should have it. But the Wild doesn't want it. So, so why does so Hartford? I, I, I would hate to. I yeah, hate sorry. To lose anything to Dallas. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, so Hartford, or I'm sorry, Carolina owns the, the Hartford name, correct? And th- that's yeah. why they had that throwback game. Uh, but clearly, so that's the different. Name. They no, don't. The league owns the, the league. Owns, okay. The league owns the name. Okay. But they, but they can use it. Okay. So in in that case, they because there's no tie-in with a franchise that's still in Hartford. Is that why they don't mind? You know, I think it's one or two games. I think it's two games that they're going to go back to wearing or have worn the uh, Whalers jersey, etc. No, I think if the league, uh, if the Wild really wanted to do it, that they could get it done, and the league would agree to it. You know, Dallas might balk a little bit, but I'm sure they could tell Dallas, listen, we own the name and we're doing this. I'm just saying one game. One game, Lou. That's all I want. One game. Well, so do I. I'm not asking for a lot here. I think they, I, I, I agree with you. I think they should do it, and I believe they could get it done, and it would be no problem. Uh, explain to me why you think that uh, Dubnik is is the Wilds' all-star, because that, that surprised me. And I know that these I teams can. are constructed differently, but explain that to me. I can't explain why he is. I, I, you know, I really think that uh, Parisi or Randman should have been the all-star. It's not even close. You know, the um, the fact that he played a lot of games is not enough. Uh, when you look at the numbers compared to everybody else, you you just, it, it doesn't make sense that he's there before Parisi or Randman. I told you, the only thing that Bruce is doing that I don't get is playing 
Dubnik that much. I think he's an outstanding coach, and I think he's done a great job. And I know he came out a couple days ago in his uh, pregame press conference and said that Staylock was going to play more in the second half because of the schedule, but it's the only thing I don't get is I don't understand, and I still don't get why Dubnik plays so much. Well, you know, he's been able to go on the hot streaks, and when he does, he can carry on his back. And, and unfortunately, uh, you know, he's had the cold streaks, like in November this year, which not very, uh, statistics were not very good. And sometimes you, you're afraid to play the other guy more because you want to hurt his confidence. But now I think, I really believe now Buju is at a situation where he's going to play whoever he feels is going to play the best. And mm-hmm. if he doesn't like what he sees, from one guy, he'll go to the other guy. I don't think there's going to be any kind of concern at all right now that maybe this guy's upset if I don't play him or that guy's upset if I don't play him. He knows that the, the season's on the line. He can't, he can't be making those decisions by worrying about some personality. Ovechkin uh, deciding not to play in the All-Star game to rest. A big deal to you or, or not that big a deal? Or the no, All-Star weekend? I don't like the All-Star game. I said that many times. <laughs> I really like the All-Star game when when you had the champion playing an all-star team, and then it's more of a game, there's, there's more competition, more competitiveness. Uh, to me, it seems gimmicky, and I, I didn't even watch it the last two years. Well, it, it is, and, and he, here's my thing with Dubnik going and playing there too, Louis, is that's just a shooting gallery game. If I was a coach, I would have no interest in my goalie playing in, in that game, it's basically, what, a 20-minute three-on-three game in which my goaltender is going to be exposed exposed to more shots than he ever needs to see. Yeah, but then you're going to get your goaltender suspended for a game. I know. So, so I mean, you can't, uh, you know, you have to remember, these guys are, are, are could cost them if they, if they ever get fired. They always want to make sure they got the backing of people around the league to get a job again. True. They're not going to. They're not going to be taken on the league because they just the shooting gallery. You know. True. Uh, Canada losing in the World Juniors before uh, they they get a chance to even uh, get to the medal round is how big of deal in that context? You can't even fathom how big it is because the Canadians hadn't been out of the medals I think in 17 years that they posted when they posted the tournament and. It is such a big, big tournament in Canada. We don't, get, we don't actually get any kind of a feel for how important this tournament is to the Canadians. The junior hockey tournament is huge up there. The viewership, the sponsorships, the backing, the, the uh, attendance. And for them not to be in it is just a colossal, colossal, uh, you know, uh, downer. I felt bad at that poor uh goalie when he gave up the OT goal yeah. last night looked like he was absolutely crestfallen and I think his parents were crying you I actually felt bad for those kids because because you know they're what 18 year old kids basically right 18 19 yeah. and the world is on their shoulders there yeah more than you know I mean those yep. guys in Canada they, they there there'll be a twitter feast and uh people making Night comments in Canada about the junior team. Now it, it was, it was devastating to him. It, you know, it's not a, it's not a good thing. All right, sir. Talk next Thanks. week.